it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. All right, here we go. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're covering an exploding situation in the Middle East. Well, right now it's kind of in a pause, although rockets are going everywhere north and south. Uh, we also know that our people have been under attack in Syria, Iraq, and off the coast of Yemen. Why is that okay? Why are we not answered back? And uh, we're also following things in New York City. We cannot forget what's going on here. There's constant uh, where the rallies for the Hamas Palestinian movement, or there's uh, support for the Israelis, which I thought was in America's interest. But I'm amazed at what's happening. There's also Nazi symbols po- popping up in in this city and maybe yours. Hopefully, uh, this is a convulsion of just a few warped uh, people. Carlos Jimenez uh, will be with us, the congressman from Jimenez uh, from Miami. Are they going to get a speaker today? And Alan West at the border. We've gotten 18 people on the terror watch list come through in September. 168 for the year so far. Alan West on that, as well as... Do we really need a three-star general to help out the Israelis before they go into Gaza? We gave it to them, uh, a three-star uh, Marine uh, general. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Somebody's going to be able to get 217. Right? I think uh, at least half of them could get there. Uh, the other half might struggle a little bit. <clears throat> but we're going to have to figure out how to get our act together. I think so. Dusty Johnson weighing in, saying uh, South Dakota end inside. Perhaps eight nominees vie for the opening Republican speaker spot. We need to look at the candidates and commitment for the GOP to finally rally around just one. Number two. And it's really incredible how people are still not believing these stories. If this denial is taking shape, and it is taking shape, because in fact that's the narrative yeah. of Hamas and everybody around the world is swallowing it. Yep, it's unbelievable. Uh, the media, as well as uh, academia, have turned on Israel. It seems the mighty Israel and America have found protesters, mostly media, against them at a time in which the power of being right is all that remains on our side. How to win that fight, and Israel's beginning to do that, and the one against Hamas. Number one. I'm stunned by it that we're not doing anything about it. The issue is... We have Iran using their proxies that are attacking U.S. bases. And the reason is to try to kill Americans. What is the strategy here? Keeping uh, Israel back and letting Iran surrogates attack. That's what's happening. This is what the Biden administration is authoring in week three of the war in Israel. And by the way, you can always get the podcast if you ever miss the show live or you want to catch it on the podcast, BrianKillMeShow.com. Uh, and you can always write me and find out where I'll be with Teddy and Booker T, which is coming out November 7th, or in my past books at BrianKillMe.com. We just redid the website. I think you're going to like it. But let's talk about the situation uh, at hand. We've been hit three of the last four days of the 2,000-plus we have in Iraq. Is that okay with you? Do you know that we uh, have a destroyer go off the coast of Yemen, and they send rockets our direction? We knock them out of the sky, but that's not the point. Should we be attacked and not answer back? The Houthi rebels felt this bold enough to send rockets our direction. 
Just because we can knock it out of the sky doesn't mean it's okay. We have to send a message to these thugs. The Pentagon admits Iran is behind it through their militias. But we don't do anything. Two drone attacks at our base in Iraq on Monday. On Sunday, uh, they were inter- they were intercepted, by the way. On Sunday, Katusha rockets uh, one, were targeting our base over in Iraq. We knocked it down, but that's not the point. Saturday at the Assad Air Base Defense System, they downed two drones that flew over our base. Uh, that's not good. And the USS Coney, as I mentioned before, over the weekend in the Red Sea, blocked missiles launched by the Houthi rebels. Now, keep in mind, our guys are, are we got a handful of guys, I don't know exactly how many in Syria. Well, our men and women were attacked in Syria right by the Conoco gas fields where American troops are housed. What They are doing this at the same time because they're not happy that we're backing Israel like we always will. So answer them back. Don't worry about a wider world war. We, we are a superpower. Why people feel great kicking us in the shins and we feel okay with just taking it, I am not really sure. But John Kirby just says this, and I hate this answer, by the way. Cut nine. If there's going to be a response, it's going to be at a time and a manner of our choosing. We're going to do what we have to do to protect our interests. And that's one of the reasons why the president directed more military uh, capabilities into the region. Two strike groups. To do what? Just to sit there and be a target? Are you kidding? Come on, Admiral. You know better than that. General Jack Keane on with me this morning. Cut 12. I'm stunned by it that we're not doing anything about it. We are defending against some of it. If they're shooting a missile, we shoot it down. If they shoot a drone down, we get most of them. We don't get all of them. We haven't had fatalities, but that's not the, the issue. The issue is we have Iran using their proxies that are attacking U.S. bases, where there are U.S. troops or bases that our hosts are running, and we have our troops on those bases. And the reason is to try to kill Americans. What is the strategy here? What is the strategy? That's a exasperated general fresh off a trip to Ukraine. We'll discuss that a little bit later. And keep in mind, this guy has been fighting wars for America since he actually was physically fighting, enlisted in Vietnam. And he's saying, what are we doing? Didn't you, the Iran, didn't the Trump year show you anything about how to deal with Iran? You got to hit them back, hit them hard, they back away. Simple as that. I wish it was different. I wish we could call them up like we do France and have it out and pull our ambassadors back like when we sold those uh, torpedoes, where we sold those, excuse me, nuclear subs over to Australia. Israel, around, France was upset. They pulled their ambassador back. They got mad at us. We're not dealing with these people like this. So then this report, the U.S. is worried the IDF, or the Israeli Defense Force, is not ready to go forward with an achievable plan for Gaza. I've never heard people doubt an attack plan by the Israelis. Now, I cannot believe their security was so vulnerable they allowed the October 7th to take place. But having said that, I always thought we're there to support, but I didn't think we were there to strategize. Oh, there, if you need a resource, but I didn't think they were there to lead. Now, I know we're providing replenishing the Iron Dome and we're getting them a lot of missiles and rockets. Okay. But we have leverage. I understand it. But for the most part, they were the ones suffering most of the damage we Lost 29 people, 29 too many. We might have 10 or 11 hostages over there. We did get two hostages uh, back, four overall. But I don't think you hold up a operation that would provide security, knowing that each day that goes by, it's harder and harder to do a pervasive, massive operation inside Gaza, which you need. The longer you wait, all of a sudden there's this big push not to do anything. 
and I don't get it. Here's John, here's John Kirby. He's, he's trying to say it's not about the hostages. Cut one. We have reported that the administration um, has been urging Israel to delay a ground invasion. Can you tell us whether other countries are making the same request? Is there a coordinated effort? The MJ, I won't speak for other nations and what communications they might be having with Israel. I can tell you, uh, we have since the beginning of the conflict, in the early hours, maintained a level of communication with our Israeli counterparts to ascertain their intentions. Their All right, I can't even listen to it anymore. Ascertain their intentions. Everybody wants the hostages out. Jack Reed, congressman, Democrat, veteran, he came out and said, let's wait to get the hostages out. But do you know that that's Hamas's strategy? They didn't expect to get this many, but part of their manual was grab hostages and then swap. 299 of the hostages, or, or uh, 299 of the dead, of the two, almost 1,500 dead were military officers. And there's more than that being held. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of them being held among the hostages. They're not eligible for release. But for the individuals, the 80-something years old, the Holocaust survivors, uh, the children, I think Hamas is realizing this is not working for us. But maybe we're better off trying to get them back physically using hostage rescues teams than wait for the benevolence of this terror group. For people that want to know what this terror group is like, how about ask somebody that was in it for 20 years? This father was one of the co-founders that now that he's out living with us, wrote a book called Son of Hamas. And he says people should understand what we're dealing with. Cut four. They are hiding behind uh, children and women and uh, many civilians. Mm. Uh, in fact, uh, this is what they did. They, they surprised Israel on Yom Kippur. It's a holiday, you know. And uh, then they ran uh, very quickly uh, uh, to, to hide uh, and use human shifts. Uh, they have many tunnels, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, they used. Uh, the funds and the uh, aid that came to Gaza instead of it went to the people they used it to uh, dig tunnels and this is what they've been doing, digging tunnels under the ground so uh, it's very hard to deal with this type of suicidal uh, group of fighters who basically uh, don't appreciate life No, so true uh, but and it gets worse in much more descriptive ways. But the only thing you can do is wipe them out the best you can and set them back 25 years. When we come back, uh, Congressman Carlos Jimenez will be joining us from the House Armed Services Committee, Homeland, as well as the China Select Committee. Important stuff, and nothing's getting done in the huts right now, sadly, uh, because of those eight. Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, Look, my pitch is very simple. Uh, This is going to be a process where it's uh, member-driven, not speaker-driven. We need to get back to work, secure our border, fund our government responsibly, and hold this administration accountable. And last but not least, our members, we got to be focused on purpose and mission. That's it. 
and that is uh, Congressman Byron Donalds, who's putting his name in. What are the eight for speaker? How would uh, Carlos Jimenez of Florida feel about him being speaker? Congressman, I know you want Kevin McCarthy. I'm with you. But having said that, who do you think you can get behind of those eight? Oh, well, I've already endorsed uh, Byron, so um, I'm okay. with Byron right now. And why? So, uh, yeah, I think why? Because I think he can unify the party. He's, uh, you know, he's uh, he's a Freedom Caucus guy. I think he's he's shown the ability to come, you know, uh, to other to to attract other factions uh, within the within our conference. And I think that's what we need to have. We need somebody that can actually unify all of us. And I think Byron's uh, Byron's that individual. He's young. Uh, uh, he's dynamic. Uh, I think he'll have uh, great success in uh, in fundraising. He understands that we need to keep the majority, grow the majority. Because the Republican Party is the only thing standing between us and changing uh, fundamentally the, what, what America is and what the Democrat Party wants to do with America. So that's why that's why I'm supporting Biden. But I'll tell you this also, whoever comes out of that conference, I'll be supporting. We need to unify whoever comes out and move on. We have the business of America we need to get to with the world uh, on fire. Um, we, we need to get back to work. So whoever it is, you'll back. to other people that were on the fence doing Kevin McCarthy and Lee Zeldin votes? Uh, and uh, Steve Scalise votes when Jim Jordan was not. Are those ones also as committed as you? Do you sense? I don't know. I can only I, I can only talk for myself. Look, I was uh, I was uh, with McCarthy, uh, and then uh, you know when the, the votes came for Jordan, I was not with Jordan. I didn't think that he could unify us. We needed to get to the right speaker. Hopefully, out of these eight, the right speaker will come out. It'll be somebody new, um, you know, and. Or it could be, you know, somebody that wasn't really all that much in line, unless it's Emmer. Emmer is uh, is the whip, but uh, he'd be like second in line, and um, and so yeah, it's uh, you know we, we we need to come out of it unified. And I know, I think I know myself, I'm good, uh, but I can't talk for everybody else. So we're watching the squad uh, embarrass themselves in our country, and there's something about one of them, this uh, Talib has 37 million views as he triples down in denying that uh, denying that Islamic Jihad blew up that hospital. And you see her constantly screaming at the president of, of her party, of our country yeah. and her party. Um, what would you normally be doing if you had a speaker? Wouldn't you be condemning this type of outrageous behavior? Well, look, we'd be doing all kinds of stuff, and that would be one of them. Uh, we can't do anything until we have a, a speaker. Now, if we can't get a speaker out of you know these eight, I think it's time to move forward and, and give um, give uh, uh, Patrick McHenry some powers to open up the house. We have to get back to work. And yeah, that would be one of the resolutions we could put forward. We need resolutions of support for Israel. Obviously, the president is, probably, is uh, sending us 100 billion plus eight packages to Israel, Ukraine, um, and Taiwan. And there's some other stuff that I think is co- completely should be off the table. Uh, we should be dealing with those issues, uh, those three issues, and, and nothing that and, and nothing else. And it shouldn't be just one package. I think we need to break them up so that in- individuals can vote on each individual packet. I'm, uh, I'm actually kind of – I want to see what how the Democrats vote on the Israel, Israel package. Um, you know, Democrats like Tlaib and – um, you know, Ocasio-Cortez and Omar, uh, see what they, if they would like to give, you know, Israel the, the, the help that it needs and, and let them show their true colors. I think America needs to see that. Here, here's, uh, here's one of the squad, cut 20. The government of Israel for many years have been detaining innocent Palestinians without charges. The hostages that um, Israel is holding, that is also something that should be discussed. 
that has come up over years. Um, and, uh, and that is absolutely, you know, the, the numbers and the estimates I believe are in the thousands, but war crimes do not justify war crimes. So she's looking at what the Israelis are doing after October 7th and saying war crimes. My sense is she's not voting for Israeli money. And number two is she feels very comfortable saying what she's saying. And that's can you imagine if you if she had said that, say, 20 years ago, there's something going on fundamentally wrong here in this country. And I think it starts with intelligentsia. It starts in, in our institutions of higher learning where this kind of baloney is is elevated and given some credence. Look, Israel, they say it's an apartheid state. It's not an apartheid state. Twenty percent of the, the citizens of Israel are actually Arabs, and uh, they have their own party. They have a an Arab uh, member of the Supreme Court of, uh, of Israel. They're full, full citizens. They have all the rights of Israeli citizens. That's not apartheid. Um, so, you know, the only place that's got apartheid is actually Gaza. There are no Israelis there. They have to move out. They threw them out, and they had to move out in order to give that to, to the Palestinians. And so they got everything, everything is warped, and all of this, all of this um, narrative is, you know, and the narrative that the Democrats, what they do is just repeat the narrative, repeat the narrative, repeat the narrative, and drum it into you, and somehow you somehow believe it's true. Well, it's all baloney. Uh, and so we're not going to stand for it. But I do want to see them, how they vote on this. I want America to see, you know, who who is behind Israel and who's not behind Israel. Uh, and so I don't support putting it all together. And the same thing with Ukraine. Look, I support Ukraine. Right? And I know there's some members of my, of my party who don't support, support funding for Ukraine, as long as we have the right safeguards for it, because I don't think we can you know, abandon a, a, a people that are fighting for their freedom against our second greatest adversary using 5% of our defense budget without shedding one drop of American blood. Uh, and so I'm there too, but there's, there's people in my party that don't. Well, that's, we, everybody should stand up and, and, and be counted for or against, and then the American people can decide later. Right. I mean, we want an audit. We want to make sure they're not slow walking equipment. When it right. comes to the border, exactly. you don't want $14 billion to get them in the Roosevelt Hotel and put them on soccer fields instead of stopping the border and changing policy. So you've got to go, me... drill me... down uh, inside that money, right? Right. But, Brian, one of the things about the border, and I think some people are missing it, is that we can put a zillion dollars on the border. If the Biden administration doesn't want to secure the border, it's not going to be secure. And they don't want to secure the border. So, you know, everything, oh, we've got to get more money to the border. You know, look, nothing changed Nothing changed in, in from, from money or personnel from – uh, January 19, 2021 to January, one thing changed, or January 20th. One thing changed, the policy. The new president. Congressman Carlos Jimenez, thanks so much. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. There is only one solution. Do you believe that those are Cooney students? Those are Cooney, uh, Cooney students, right? That's uh, City of the University of New York. Uh, they are way to the left. We heard that horrible commencement address ripping America and Israel. And now we're seeing these protests uh, at, these, uh, at City College. Do you believe this? And they're saying infatata, infinata, whatever it is. That means the uprising... Uh, one solution means wiping out uh, Israel. Are you okay with that? Isn't that a Nazi phrase? 
Joining us now is Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. That's part of the poison which is in New York City these days, but it's not just here, Colonel. No, and it's good to be with you, Brian. It's not just there in New York City. It's all across the United States of America, to include even the halls of Congress. When you have a sitting member of the United States House of Representatives that is aligning herself and several others with a known designated terrorist organization, non-state, non-uniform belligerents on the battlefield, not covered by Geneva Convention uh, protections, that just launched a genocidal, suicidal uh, attack against uh, a sovereign nation state to include the murdering of innocent children, raping of women, killing of women, all of these things, taking them hostage. Uh, I don't understand how anyone can align themselves with a terrorist organization that also, let's be very honest, they are responsible for the deaths of about 30 Americans and countless amounts of Americans that are included in that number of uh, over 200 hostages. So, you know, there's freedom of speech, there's freedom of expression, but now we're starting to cross a line where people are aiding and abetting and providing material support and comfort to a terrorist organization. And I think they need to be held responsible and accountable for those actions. No kidding. Uh, they should be. And it's just so twisted that they're not and that they, uh, you have people who speak out. They make the news. These other people are just accepted. Here's more from the students. Cut 41. Okay. A lot of courage there. Yeah, don't give up your names, cover your faces. So in other words, uh, you're taking the same approach as a terrorist. Uh, and this goes along with the same lines of a group like Antifa. These folks should be designated as domestic terrorists, not moms for liberty and not parents going to school board meetings. But the interesting thing, once again, is that here shows the ignorance of these young people. Uh, Israel left Gaza in 2005. And what has happened in the past 18 years is unacceptable and unconscionable. And the fact that they want to stand and side with that is unbelievable. Uh, the, the targeting of innocent women and children, the indiscriminate uh, firing of rockets and missiles. You know, they keep talking about providing more aid and humanitarian aid and things of this nature. What, what has the world gotten back with their return of investment in Gaza is just they built more uh, tunnels. They've uh, fortified themselves. And sadly, we have an administration that through aiding and then helping out Iran to restore their oil revenues has now aided and uh, allowed Hezbollah and Hamas and Islamic Jihad to be flushed for cash and able to purchase and buy more weapons. So these people are on the wrong side in every way, shape, form, and fashion. Uh, but we've got to take a harder stance against them. And it's up to governors and mayors and the university presidents to start shutting this down. So we're watching people at the State Department resign because of the massive uh, or the, the outpouring of aid to Israel, uh, replenishing Iron Dome, getting them uh, armaments in the area. Now there seems to be a push, and they're not admitting it, to get Iran, excuse me, Israel to hold off the invasion of Gaza. And, but everybody, in order to get the hostages out, the president just wantonly just says stuff while walking away from the podium that affects policy so irresponsible. Yeah. Walking up the stairs, he says yes when asked if they should delay the invasion uh, for hostages. He says yes, and then they have to quickly walk back and goes, he didn't hear the question? 
Yesterday, he gives a series of remarks, walks away, someone shouts a question, he comes back and answers it, and they said it was totally wrong. Remember, he said we're going to attack China if they attack Taiwan. We'll go to his defense. His own State Department and White House walked it back. He says the same thing again. If Trump was doing this, they would just be they'd be trying to to get rid of him uh, on incompetence. They'd say there's something mentally wrong with him. But with Biden, they go, okay, no problem. No one even brings up the irresponsibility of the position that he's been waiting 40 years to get. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And think about his national security advisor who would come out and say that the Middle East is as peaceful as it has been for the past 20 years. Jake Sullivan. You've got to be Jake Sullivan drinking some very delusional water. So there is a a different uh, set of standards. There's an incredible hypocrisy that we see going on. And there's a confusion when it comes to national security and foreign policy. I mean, the president just blurbs things out, and then they have to come back, as you say, and, and retract it. But, you know, when you look at what is happening right now, and General Jack King was very uh, correct this morning on, on Fox News, we got to go on offense. You know, yesterday, I think I don't think a lot of Americans remember, but yesterday was the 40th remembrance of the Beirut barracks bombing where 254 Marine soldiers and sailors lost their lives at the hands of Hezbollah, who was backed by Iran. So we've been involved in this. We've seen Americans being killed over and over again. The explosive force penetrators, that IED that maimed so many of our American uh, soldiers yeah. and sailors and Marines in Iraq, that's what the Hezbollah was using against the uh, against Israelis. So there, Iran is already involved in this. Iran has been killing Americans, and when are we going to do something? And this is not about, as General King said, seeking World War III, but you got to have a harder stance against the number one state sponsor of Islamic terrorism and also Islamic terrorist groups. And we just found out that we had an incredible increase over the past year of about 2.5 million illegal immigrants, and we know that we have an incredible increase of gotaway illegal immigrants that have come into this country. We're setting ourselves up for uh, a October the 7th here in the United States of America if we're not careful. Yeah, here's what he said. Uh, the U.S. official said Monday recommended that Israel not rush into launching a ground war because Washington has the chance to get military resources in place. Okay, I'm not sure that Israel needed all that, but okay. Yeah. Uh, this will allow Qatar to continue to work to secure the release of additional hostages. That's more of it. And we're, by the way, we're depending on Qatar, where we got this brilliant military base, I understand it, headquarters, but we also have Qatar who's housing Hamas. So they're coming mm-hmm. out like heroes, but they don't deserve to be heroes. Are you kidding? The foreign secretary of Iran met with the Hamas leader in Qatar over the weekend. President Biden, yeah. when asked about the U.S., would support a potential Israel Hamas ceasefire in exchange for the release of hostages, Biden says, we should have those hostages released, and then we can talk. Really? Since when is that our posture? Why is hostages anything to do with going into uh, going into uh, Gaza, who have just massacred almost fifteen hundred uh, Israelis while capturing two hundred and twenty-two? No, you're absolutely right. And Qatar is playing both sides of the coin. Uh, and we should probably remove our air base out of Qatar because, look, when Barack Obama released those five senior Taliban uh, leaders, members, uh, they went to Qatar. And then from Qatar, they went where? Back to Afghanistan. They're back in position. I mean, no no accountability for their actions. We so told them not to Qatar. go back there. So they, they, yeah, they yeah. defied us. 
Yeah, well, I mean, you really <laughs> thought that they were going to listen to us, just the same as Kidding? the Ayatollah said. We'll we'll spend the money however we want. We we don't have to use it for uh, for aid. And that six billion dollars is still not been unfrozen. I mean, frozen there in the, the banks in Qatar. So they're not a friend. They're not an ally. And the bottom line is this: what we should be doing is, you know constraining resources going into Gaza and say, look, uh, we want the hostages back, and we're not going to open up any water fuel or anything. We're going to support Israel and that until the hostages are released. What Hamas and Qatar are trying to do is to slow walk this, you know, hostage release, you know, to here, to there, and just stretch this thing out so they can better prepare themselves. They believe They believe that they have the time on their side, and of course they believe that they have a complicit leftist media, and yes. these idiots that we have out on the streets on their side. Uh, and we need to take swift action to, to crush mm-hmm. Hamas. It's a terrorist organization. I mean, put it this way, there were 350 strikes on Sunday, 400 yesterday, so they're not getting away unscathed. But any civilian that died, it's never the intent, and they were told to move south. So Mm -hmm. move south. We're not aiming for you, unlike Hamas, who's targeting you. Out of the 1,200 or 1,500 they killed, 299 were were in the military. The rest were Holocaust survivors, four-year-olds on the playground, women uh, in high school. So or others uh, at a concert. So that's what Hamas is targeting. Yet the world opinion is, oh, Israel's being too tough. It is insane. Final thought, Colonel. Well, I don't know what you're supposed to be with uh, Islamic terrorists whose charter says that they exist for your extermination, your eradication, your elimination. They do not want to see the Jewish people there. They do not want to see a modern-day state of Israel, which has been around for some 5,800 years, uh, so if you have an organization that says that they, I want to exterminate you, what are you supposed to do? You have to be tough, and you have to meet them on the battlefield. The reality of the enemy has to become your reality. By the way, Gary Palmer has just dropped out of the race. So you got Tom Emmer to be speaker, Mike Johnson, Jack Bergman of Michigan, Byron Donalds of Florida, Kevin Hearn of Oklahoma, Austin Scott of Georgia, and Pete Sessions of Texas. Is, do, you have a, do you have somebody you'd like to see emerge? Well, I tell you what, you know, I, I believe that a lieutenant general retired in the United States Marine Corps is the type of person that needs to get everybody on the same sheet of music, you know, get them uh, disciplined and focused on accomplishing a mission. So I know Jack Bergman very well, and I have lent my uh, voice and support to him. But the bottom line is pick somebody, because right now we have no actions being taken in the House of Representatives. It's embarrassing, and we've got some business that needs to be resolved, especially with the spending business and support to Israel. All right. Uh, it is embarrassing. Uh, I do think people forget about it. They get their acting together and uh, fund the government, get the appropriations bills done because there's mm-hmm. so much going on. It's like a tornado of news. There's so yeah. much going on. But they also got to go out and fundraise. They also got to go out and pick candidates. They got to go into those in those tough to win districts in New York and California and say, hey, this is where you want to go. You don't want soft on crime. You don't want a weak border. You don't want an embarrassing foreign policy. You want someone to stand up to China. That's what you got to go to bat for. You have great issues. Don't blow it. It just kills me. And I'll tell you, if it was Democrats who were on those issues and Republicans, I'd go with the Democrats. My loyalty is to somebody who's pulling for the country. It seems like the Democrats' policies are anti-American. They're not even – They're not even. Dis, it's not even a, a point of contention. They're out to – it seems like they're out to do everything to degrade our country. 
Crime runs rampant. The border wide open. Military week. Recruiting is down. We're not answering reprisals when our assets get hit in Iraq and Syria and off the uh, coast of Yemen. It's insane what's happening right now. Well, maybe perhaps that's why the progressive socialist left who really controls the Democrat Party is simpatico with Islamic terrorist organizations because they both share their anti-Jewish sentiment and anti-American yeah. sentiment as well. It's crazy. Uh, thanks so much for being a voice of reason. Uh, Colonel Allen West, thank you. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Brian. All right. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. When we come back, Brian Kilmeade Show continues with your phone calls. You can also write me, com. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Something's going to happen. It'll be positive. It'll end up working well. Uh, I'm staying above it. I have to right now. But I've uh, spoken to just about all the candidates. There are quite a few of them. And they're terrific people. You know, that four threshold is very tough. It's a very tough thing, no matter who it is. Uh, I said there's only one person that can do it all the way. You know who that is? Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, the president got a call from Tom Emmer, who they see want to make clear he's not anti-Trump. He did vote to certify the election. That was considered a bad thing for President Trump, as you know. Uh, but Jim Jordan didn't make it. That was his pick. He picked him over Steve Scalise, who is a good friend of his, too. Uh, but in the end, the it's down to seven now. One dropped out. So it looks like Byron Donalds is, thinks, you know, he called the president a couple of days ago and says, I'm going to run for this. Can I get your endorsement? Evidently, the president thought, I'm just going to lay out for now. I don't want to hurt or help anybody. So we'll see. They're going to go to conference. They'll pick one person. We'll see if that one person, before they leave the room, just say, hey, guys, anyone against me? Anyone's going to ref- anyone refuse to vote for me? And what is it? I'm going to just give me your number. I'm going to call you later. You don't have to embarrass you. I'll call you later. Let's meet. Because I don't want to hear another Hakeem Jeffries endorsement. I don't want to hear a Byron Donalds or a Tom Emmer endorsement. I want to know. I want the game rigged. The minute that person walks up, it's a guy, the man walks up with, with the caucus support, whether it's over 100, whatever it is. Since there's seven, I'm sure, I'm sure the winner will probably only have like 60. Since there's seven people in this. And then they got to make some calls and just get this done with so we can forget it. I, I should share this to the news with you. Jenna Ellis, a former Ch- uh, Trump attorney, has pled guilty to, to, to today to illegally conspiring to overturn the election. Ellis was facing two charges, including violating Georgia's anti-racketeering act. Pled guilty in court Tuesday to a reduced charge of aiding and abetting false statements and writings. The deal allows her to avoid jail time in exchange for providing evidence that could potentially implicate other defendants in agreeing to testify in future trials. All right. Then they're trying to get Trump. Problem, bottom line is I don't see it because what they're going to say is, yeah, I thought the election there, I was cheated. And what did my attorney say? Yes. And would he come up with a plan? Yes. What do you need to know? What do you need to, well, who ordered the fake electors? Oh, who came up with the legal strategy? You guys did. Because the, the attorneys were fighting with attorneys. So, according to details of the agreement, Ellis agreed to complete five years probation, 100 hours of community service, and pay 5000 restitution to the Georgia Secretary of State. He agreed. She agreed to write a letter of apology. What's that about? She's the fourth Trump co-defendant to plead guilty. Uh, Atlanta Bell bondsman Scott Hall acu- uh, accused of playing a wide-ranging role in the conspiracy to reverse uh, Trump's loss in Georgia, pleaded guilty September 29th. 
uh, Sidney Powell, Kenneth Cheeseborough. We'll see. Uh, we'll see where it goes. Uh, we'll see how that happens. Meanwhile, they're all moving forward. Trump suing Jack Smith again. He's trying to fight a gag order. He's got the New York trial going on. Michael Cohen coming in. And that's all not a biggest story because we have war in Israel, Israel that could branch out to a three-front war. And we find it, uh, we think it's okay, evidently, to tell Israel not to start the war yet. Even though it was started with them October 7th. What I think Israel is doing is smart is letting everyone see the brutality of what happened that day. Because for some reason, it's getting plowed under. You don't want to see brutality. But I was watching some video last night of this guy who was at a concert. Uh, and when the, when the shooting started, he went to a bomb shelter. And in the bomb shelter, or whatever they call it, the safe room, they kept throwing grenades in. And one of these guys kept throwing them back. Well, finally, one blew. And the guy that kept throwing it back blew up. Other people died. This guy survived but lost half of his arm. And they see him being loaded into the back of a pickup truck. That's what we need to show right now. Do you believe it or not? You need to show this brutality. This woman that got out as a hostage, she said she was in a labyrinth of tunnels, spiderweb of tunnels. And she said that they grabbed this 80-year-old woman. They threw her over a motorcycle on the back and drove her through the open field, through the open fence. Can you imagine treating an 80-year-old woman like this? And then the lucky ones that didn't get killed. But, you know, AOC and company say easy. You know, you don't, there's no war crimes bombing in Gaza. Even though there's nobody being targeted, uh, no civilians being targeted by the Israelis. And they are targeted by Hamas. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. We come to you from 48th and 6th, about, I guess, four long blocks from the U.N. Uh, where the United Nations is located, where the Security Council is meeting, where protesters are everywhere, pro-Israel and anti-Israel, unbelievably, as uh, our Secretary of State is there trying to let everybody know what the reality is on the ground in Israel. He's been there. A lot of leaders have been there. The Netherlands, uh, Macron was there. We, uh, the, the U.K. Prime Minister was there. So a lot have come over, but we're still waiting on a ground invasion. We're going to get to that shortly. And if anything happens, any hyperbolic statements or impassioned pleas for unanimity might be interesting. But and when the Security Council has China and Russia on it, it's hard to imagine them agreeing to anything. This hour, we're going to be joined by uh, Stuart Varney, uh, Jeff Lax, a Cooney law professor uh, whose grandparents survived the Holocaust, who now is seeing this anti-Israeli, uh, anti-Semitic attitude uh, crop up on his campus and rear its ugly head. And he's fighting back about it and could cost him his job. And Dan Senor here in studio. Uh, we, let's get to the big three before we get to Dan. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Somebody's going to be able to get 217 in there. I, I think uh, at least half of them could get there. Uh, the other half might struggle a little bit. But we're going to have to figure out how to get our act together. Yep, I would hope so. That is Dusty Johnson. End in sight, perhaps, as nominees vie for the open Republican speaker slot. We have seven candidates remaining. Will the GOP rally around whoever emerges today? I say yes. Number two. And it's really incredible how people are still not believing these stories. If this denial is taking shape, and it is taking shape, because, in fact, that's the narrative yeah. of Hamas, and everybody around the world is swallowing it. 
That is uh, the Jerusalem deputy mayor fighting the media and academia. Seems might, it seems mighty easy to fight for to go to bat for Israel and America right now. But protesters and the media seem against them. Why? Because they're democracy and we have freedom of speech. Uh, now it's time to get on the offensive. And I think Israel is beginning to do that by just showing everyone the reality of the horror of October 7th. Number one. I'm stunned by it that we're not doing anything about it. The issue is we have Iran using their proxies that are attacking U.S. bases. And the reason is to try to kill Americans. What is the strategy here? That is as exasperated as you'll ever hear General Jack Keane keeping Israel back. Letting Iran surrogates attack without reprisal. This is what the Biden administration is authoring right now here in week three. Dan Senor, he's author of a brand new book. It's not out yet. It's out on November 7th. It's called The Genius of Israel. And if you're watching Fox Nation, you see it right next to Teddy and Booker T. Dan, great to see you. Good to see you, Brian. So General Jack Keane says, I can't believe this. We've been hitting Iraq three of the last four days at our bases, knocking down some rockets and some drones. And then the same thing happened, it would, the same thing happened over in Syria. Uh, they went out for barracks over by the Conoco, Conoco um, uh, fuel plant, and then they go after our uh, our ship, our battleship, our destroyer over off the coast of Yemen. No answers yet. Dan, is that a problem in the Middle East? It's a huge problem. I um, Look, when President Biden was in Israel and when he was uh, speaking to 60 Minutes and when he did his first statement on October 7th, he made clear – that parties in the region should not try to capitalize on Israel's war with Hamas. He singled out Iran, finally, took him multiple times. He finally singled out Iran during his uh, Scott Pelley had to lead him there, but go ahead. Yeah, uh, during his more recent remarks. Uh, But the words are important, but the words only matter if they're matched with action. And if Iran feels that they can just behave cavalierly with um, no kind of response, uh, they're going to just increasingly do so. My other concern, Brian is Iran right now has been plotting to at some point make a race to get to the point where it has a nuclear weapons capability. Uh, I don't know when that is, but no doubt the world being distracted is a good opportunity for them. If the world is distracted with Israel's fight with Hamas and if it's added with the, through a northern front with Israel's potential fight with Hezbollah, it seems to me like the ideal time for Tehran to make a move on its nuclear weapons program. And we may be looking back in history saying they engineered this whole thing masterfully. Because this is a distraction. And it is a distraction, and they and, and Hamas and Hezbollah and Palestinian Islamic Jihad are proxies of Iran's. So Iran effectively, if they don't outright control them, they're the primary funders. and, and um, We know the meeting took place in Beirut, right, so my right, goodness. Right. And that was so sophisticated in the operation. Somebody experienced had to do that. Right, and, and you know, the, these relationships go back years. These relationships between Iran and Hamas and Iran and Hezbollah. Go, I mean, Hezbollah was created by Iran. So, uh, so the relationships go back years. I, I'm hard-pressed to believe that Tehran was in the middle of all this in some way. And I'm hard-pressed to believe that Tehran cannot use this to capitalize on its own geopolitical ambition and its goal to have hegemony in the region um, beyond this moment. So uh, right now it seems about the U.S. is holding back. Uh, Today I thought this statement was noteworthy. U.S. worried the IDF is not ready to go in with an achievable plan for Gaza. Is that true? Do you don't think the IDF is ready? Look, the IDF, uh, the Israeli government wants to accomplish several things uh, in this operation, one of which is 
eradicating Hamas from Gaza. It has to do that. It can do that. I mean, we can debate on the details about what the right way to do it is. And what happens next. And there's the what happens next. But when when the United States went to wipe out ISIS, of course there was going to be a vacuum once ISIS was wiped out. But the United States said we have to deal with ISIS. ISIS poses a barbaric threat to Western civilization. We have to remove it. We will figure out later what to do, how to fill the vacuum. Now, I'm not saying the the Israelis should be, you know, cover their eyes and just ignore the the the, the scenarios for a post post Hamas Gaza. I actually think I know for a fact that there are people within the Israeli government already meeting on that. There are committees within the Israeli government that are thinking that through. Uh, there are informal communications with Arab governments about how to move forward in Gaza post Hamas. There are plenty of uh, things steps that can be taken now, but. I just want to take a step back. On Israel's border is an entity sworn to its destruction, sworn to Israel's destruction. It's not just rhetorical. It's actually in their charter. In their charter, it says part of its goal – I mean I can pull up the charter. In very explicit words, it says its goal is to wipe Israel off the map. That is – this is not someplace thousands of miles away from Israel. This is on its southern border. So then you say, okay, well – that's what they believe rhetorically, but do they have the weapons and the training to do this? We now know they do. Then you say, okay, they, they have it in their charter and they have the weapons and training to do it, but would they actually do it? We just learned on October 7th they were prepared to do it in the most barbaric and gruesome and Nazi-like ways. What country would tolerate having that entity sitting on its border? None. None. And for anybody – in the West to say, well, Israel, have you thought about this? Well, Israel, have you thought about that? Well, Israel, you should control your rage. Well, Israel, maybe, you know, have you thought about getting Gaz- the Gazans the proper fuel before you launch your attack? It's it's Crazy. preposterous. You wouldn't ask any country to be held to this standard. How about this? Here's AOC, cut 20. The government of Israel for many years have been detaining innocent Palestinians without charges, the hostages that um, Israel is holding, that is also something that should be discussed. That has come up over years. Um, and, uh, and that is absolutely, you know, the, the numbers and the estimates, I believe, are in the thousands. But war crimes do not justify war crimes. So what about those hostages that Israel has? Do you believe this? Uh, Israel does not have... Palestinian hostages. Israel has not committed war crimes. I did a whole episode on my podcast the other day with a guy named Matthew Waxman, who's a who's an international law professor from Columbia University. He he worked as a general counsel in the Defense Department in the Bush administration. He studied war crimes all over the world. He lays out exactly how you interpret whether or not a country is is committing war crimes. By no standard is Israel committing a war crime. To the contrary, he says, what Israel experienced on October 7th of everything he has seen around the world, and he has seen a lot, Matthew Waxman. He chronicles it in my podcast. He goes through all the atrocities he's seen. He says he's never seen in all his career what he saw on October 7th in terms of what was done to Israel. So the idea, mm-hmm. this sort of Orwellian you know, jujitsu here of AOC now talking about Israeli war crimes, are you kidding me? So uh, and uh, Talib, same thing. She does not believe the hospital was blown up uh, by Islamic Jihad. 
which yeah. everybody else says. So the IDF says it's true. Now every major media organization says it's true. The U.K. government says it's true. And the Biden administration says it's true. So is she doubting the, yes. the president of her own party? She is. Uh, so when asked about the anti-Semitism that's cropping up everywhere, uh, this is what KGP said, uh, the press secretary, cut 22. Talk to a lot of the protesters. You'll hear anti-Semitic comments. That and they we're going to always Israel denounce. We're always going to denounce anti-Semitism. But at the same time, people have the right to peacefully protest. But we in this administration are going to always denounce anti-Semitism, any form of hate. So that's going on. She's not really taking that. But if there was anti-gay action. If it was anti-trans action, if it was anti, if it was so-called Islamophobia, which really doesn't exist, you would know that she wasn't going to be fair and balanced on that. Here's more. Cut 23. What is his level of concern right now about the potential rise of anti-Semitism in light of everything that's going on in Israel? So a couple of things. Um, look, um, uh, we have not seen... Uh, any credible uh, threats. I know there's been always questions about uh, credible threats. uh, And so I just want to make sure that that's out there. But look, uh, Muslim and those perceived uh, to be Muslim have endured a disproportionate uh, number of hate-fueled attacks. What's she even talking about? I I honestly, it's it's like a word salad. Um, you know what it's like to be a press secretary. Yeah. You know, you got to also worry about, you know, you got got secrets you got to keep and there's a message you got to have. But this is somebody who's totally unprepared to answer these questions and, with an agenda. And not, not only that, the, the FBI chronicles hate crimes in the United States every year. The Jewish population in the United States is subjected to a higher percentage in statistical terms and in absolute terms than any other religious group in the United States. So for her to focus on the disproportionate attacks on the Muslim population, this is by no means saying that – I'm not belittling any any violence against or, or hate crimes against the Muslim population, but the Jewish population in normal times right. is subjected to the highest by like orders of magnitude mm-hmm. uh, anti uh, uh, religious race based attacks uh, in the United States, and in the last two weeks, it's escalated even farther because people rationalize attacks against Jews when they are criticizing Israel. Which is another reminder about how fierce double standard criticism of Israel is interchangeable with anti-Semitism. So I, I honestly don't know what she's talking about. And, and Brian, this right. gets to another point. Yep. A number of people have said recently that we're, we're experiencing Holocaust denial – we're experiencing denialism of what we've seen in um, – in what Hamas did to Israel, that meaning that people are denying what happened, okay? And they're saying that's like Holocaust denialism, right? That's like for, for decades there was this – on the fringes of the academic world, there were these efforts to deny, well, maybe it wasn't yeah. 6 million, maybe it was 2 million. Well, may, it wasn't gas chambers, but maybe they were killing fields, trying to dilute the, the, the horror of the Holocaust. I think it's the wrong comparison. I don't think what we're dealing now with – what we're dealing with post-October 7th is denialism of what happened, what Hamas did to Israel. It's it's something new. It's legitimization. People, if you listen to the arguments, listen to that AOC quote you just played. She's not – she's saying, yes, but. Yes, bad things happen, but. Have you thought about the war crimes Israel committed? Yes, 
terrible things. Yes, the Israeli hostages. Ter- yes, but have you thought about the Palestinians in Israeli prison? It's a yes, but it's a constant. And you hear these yeah. arguments. The Palestinians say, are taken hostage by the Israelis. Yeah, yeah, or, or or the root causes of the Palestinian suffering in Gaza Strip. It's an open air prison. How could you know? How how do you how can you blame them? Yes, but I'm tired of yes, but right. Yes, but is legitimization. You are when you say yes, but you are saying yes, it's awful, but. There are legitimate yeah. grievances. And the moment you start arguing that there are legitimate grievances by the Palestinians to begin to rationalize beheading of children, burning of babies alive, cutting babies out of the wombs and let them dangle on their mother's dead mother's umbilical cords, systematically raping women. I, I, I mean, I just spent last night literally, I mean, I'm just so wound up about this. I spent last night with the parents of a 23-year-old kid who's been taken hostage. The parents, they were, they're in New York right now. They're, they're meeting at the UN. They, they have not seen their son since October 6th, the night of October 6th. He was at that music festival. His arm was blown off. His left arm was blown off because um, yeah, I saw that. he was throwing grenades and he was throwing them back. And their last cell signal they got of him was him in the Gaza Strip. And they haven't heard a word since. His arm's been blown off. God knows if it's been treated properly or not. Try legitimizing this to people. It is. It is like it is. It is so other level insanity that you know. I'm the son of a Holocaust survivor. We say never again. I've got to tell you, watching mm-hmm. events of the October seventh and then beyond, you say to yourself, "Huh." I. I kind of see how these things can happen. Some final thoughts with Dan Senor in just a moment. Uh, the name of his book that is now out, soon will be out, one week, uh, The Genius of Israel. Back in a moment. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Dan Senor Dan is back with us, uh, too. His book's coming out next week. It's called The Genius of Israel. Uh, he's also an expert in the area. He's got uh, relatives fighting, uh, other people affected. Uh, he's got deep roots in Israel. And yesterday, U.S. officials said they are recommending that Israel not rush into launching a ground offensive before Washington has a chance to get military resources in place. Dan, is that what's holding it up? We don't have resources in place? Look, there are a number of factors as to why Israel hasn't gone in yet. The one that worries me the most is the U.S. government pressuring Israel to hold back, A, because they're worried about, quote-unquote, the humanitarian consequences, uh, and two, the concern about – or they wanting to let these negotiations play out for the hostages. Now, no one is more sympathetic than me uh, in terms of getting out these hostages. Like I said, I just spent an evening – Last night with the parents of, of one um, Lost hostage. his arm in an explosion. Lost his arm. It's just an unbelievable story. i got to tell you, Brian, I sat there. I said to my wife after, this could be any of us, listening to those parents. Yeah. If you have kids, they're just normal people. You know, they're neighbors of my sisters in Jerusalem. It's just gut-wrenching. Um, but I'm worried that Hamas is playing the U.S. and Israel like a fiddle right now. And they're dribbling out a couple hostages at a time, a couple hostages here. Their latest request is that we'll release a bunch of hostages if you if you pause all the bombing for a little while, well, what does that mean? That means that the Hamas commandos that are trapped underground in North Gaza in the tunnels, they want to get out. 
because because the resources are being squeezed because they don't have access to fuel and they don't have access to other supplies and they want to get out of those tunnels and they want to get to south they probably want to get to south gaza so they're saying we'll choose the time if it will consider giving you a bunch of hostages if you stop the bombing now and that'll give us time to get out well that of course hinders israel's war effort so i the, you know the timing here matters and i worry that israel's being played yeah uh, I do too, Dan. Uh, they've killed five of those commanders, but there's a lot more that have to have to die. Uh, Dan Senor, thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. Uh, hopefully Israel does the right thing and, and goes in. Uh, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. When we come back, Jeff Lax, who's fighting the good fight over here in the city university system. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The least we can do today is come out here and stand with our Palestinian resistance, who are, who are our heroes, who are our lions, as they are defending Palestine. They are defending every revolutionary today. They are defending Masjid al-Aqsa. They are defending every Palestinian. Palestinian father, children, mother, brother, sister, it is the Palestinian resistance who is defending them, while international countries and nations have been silent. That's a CUNY student uh, at Brooklyn College, obviously going off when the Palestinian, as if he's auditioning to be a member of Hamas, and maybe attack a child, maybe capture a four-year-old and bring him hostage. That's the type of idiots that are showing themselves at these CUNY demonstrations, not all but most. That is not new to my next guest, who, if you're watching on Fox Nation, you see him. If you saw him on Fox and Friends about two hours ago, he is Jeff Lax. He's a, a grandparent. His grandparents survived the Holocaust. He is a CUNY law professor. Jeff, great to see you. You do not agree with this. You're outraged by this. Of course. Yeah, of course I'm outraged by it. And you are uh, somebody that has witnessed this before. So sadly, you're not surprised by it. What is going on at that school that there are so many people who find who are akin to the to the Palestinian Hamas cause? Well, I think this goes back many years. I mean, you, you have to go back at least ten years to see the roots of this. And I was screaming about this ten years ago because I saw the begins begins of it. I mean, these are true uh, died in the wool Marxists. You have to understand at, at the faculty at CUNY at these um, at these union meetings they call each other comrade. It's it's not a joke. It's a serious greeting that they use with each other. And their main goal is to not to educate students, is to indoctrinate the students. And so we've been seeing this for many, many years happening in the classrooms, happening. And, and they pray, Brian, they pray on the weakest, most vulnerable students that we have. We see them going to disability officers, which we call accessibility. They'll go into those offices and they'll tell those students, you have to go to this rally. You have to go to this thing. It's a, it's a must. It's your duty. It's your civic duty. It is social justice. They're not even justice. political science majors necessarily? Not, no. And usually most of the stuff they do has nothing to do with what they, what they teach on campus. So listen to some of the chants they had going yesterday. Cut 40. There is only one So, so, so they hear the horror of what happened October 7th, and they feel compelled to chant that. What does that mean? They're calling for Intifada, which is an uprising, and they're saying one solution means what? Kill the Jews. I mean, Intifada means kill the Jews. And when Hamas calls for a day of jihad, so a couple of weeks ago, after, right after the week, uh, the week following October 7th, the attacks on Israel— 
Hamas called for a day of jihad. And, you know, you had these rallies around the world, including many at CUNY. And there were rallies at CUNY that Thursday, that Friday on the day of jihad. How is a Jewish student supposed to feel coming onto campus that we got calls? Uh, you, you know, I founded a group called Safe Campus, and we got calls from our group asking us, should I send my school, should, should I send my kids to school today? Is it safe? And, and what uh, is your, what's your answer? My, it's, you know, it's a very hard question to answer for somebody. Okay? I don't want to tell a parent not to send their kid to school, but I also want to tell them that we do hear that there might possibly be something unsafe there, for Jew, especially for Jewish students. Uh, Ainsley, uh, and, and you, and thank you for bringing me on and giving airtime to this. Uh, when Ainsley interviewed me this morning, she played a clip of a professor that was holding a vigil on Brooklyn College, a vigil. This was a couple of days after the massacre of those Israelis. And the vigil was interrupted by these lunatic protests. What are they protesting? They're protesting a vigil of Jewish uh, dead Jews in Israel, massacred Jews. Here it is. Cut 39. Don't let them hijack our event. Our event is to mourn the victims. So that was a professor, not you. No. Uh, it was having a, and they were being interrupted by people, free Palestine. Yes. So that's, it's insane. But you would think that if this was just generic or let's say there was an explosion in the West Bank or something and people want to go chant for something that they believe is right, that's one thing. But this is coming off one of the most horrific attacks you'll ever hear about any people ever October 7th. You can't even imagine the horror of what these people live through and what they're probably living through now as hostages and that is a go sign for this type of sentiment? Uh, and, yeah. City College is affordable. It's subsidized by the city and the state. And it used to be a quality education. It's one of the few advantages of living in New York. So a lot of people go there. Are you worried that thousands of people are being indoctrinated out into the real world looking for jobs with this mindset? A hundred percent. When I we were talking off the air about the speech given at CUNY School of Law, not that long ago, but Fatima Muhammad. And she was calling for revolution against not just not just against Zionism, but also against America, against capitalism, against destruction of our entire. She called for defunding of the American military in that speech. Defunding of the American military. What does that mean? That means no more America. Right. Right. And that's what she called for. That is the mentality that's going around. And I'm telling you, this is all coming from the unions, the faculty unions. They have no idea what to do with all their money. This is what they're doing with all their money. So when they pay the due, you got to pay the dues, right? Well, I quit. I, yeah. I resigned from the union. Okay, so the people pay the dues, whatever they do with their money, they yeah. do with their money. Do you think just financing beyond the financing, beyond the dues, and that people have an agenda and are possibly paying off people? Uh, I, I don't have any inside information like that. I do know that they are promoting the pro-Hamas rallies. I do know that they're coming with kafias and flags. Uh, I'm sorry? No, go ahead. Uh, and they're, they're coming with all sorts of paraphernalia, and they're helping to organize these mm. hor horrifying rallies. Are they pro-Palestinian or pro-Hamas? Well, that's, that's a very tough question, right? So you can be pro-Palestinian rights without supporting a massacre of Jews. And I think what we saw for the first time here, at least in my lifetime, was the most obvious, clear line being drawn. Because what was happening? Look at the timeline. So October, uh, October 7th, you have this massacre, rapes of Jewish women, beheadings of Jewish babies, for goodness sakes. And you have protests against Israel 
before even a single bullet crossed the line into Gaza. What does that tell you about the BDS movement, the boycott, divestment, and sanctions? These are the same people that were protesting Israel before Israel had fired one bullet Mm -hmm. into Gaza. So um, we're dealing with uh, CUNY law professor here, uh, Jeff Lax, who's standing up for the outrageous things going on uh, in New York City and specifically his campus. But it comes a little bit from the squad in Congress. Listen to this sentiment. It sounds very similar to your students. How many more killings is enough for you? Is it a thousand more? Two thousand more? Three thousand more? How many more Palestinians would make you happy if they die? Most America is not with you, Mr. President. Most of America is not with the people that don't want to de-escalate and facilitate a ceasefire. So uh, that is anger. I didn't know this, but there were 37 million views of her. And she goes on to condemn, uh, condemn the bombing that they say the IDF did on that hospital, which didn't happen. That was proven not to happen. That Islamic Jihad was caught on intercept showing it didn't happen. And she has tripled down on it. Is that damaging? Is it easy? To, it's easy for me to marginalize this type of idiotic behavior. But it, but it resonates, doesn't it? It's horribly damaging. I mean, you have people. She left that tweet up. So now it is out there for her constituents, not American just Congresswoman feels this. American way. Congresswoman believes that Israel, regardless of any proof, what we live in a post-truth world that is so scary. Really, my parents grew up in communist countries. For them to see this, I never in my lifetime I heard about the stories when I when from when they were kids in communist countries. I cannot believe this is happening here. This is the kind of thing you hear from my my friends who grew up in the Soviet Union, the former Soviet Union. These are the kind of stories they tell you, that you know the government is lying to you. This, we're, we're standing in that situation right now. With Mark, Look at Mark Levin's book, American Marxism. Right. And, and, and this is the kind of thing he's talking about, that you have a congressman putting out knowingly false information. Is it damaging? It's very damaging. Yeah, I want you to hear finally what AOC said yesterday on Instagram, Cut 20. The government of Israel for many years have been detaining innocent Palestinians without charges. The hostages that um, Israel is holding, that is also something that should be discussed. That has come up over years. Um, and, uh, and that is absolutely, you know, the, the numbers and the estimates I believe are in the thousands. But war crimes do not Justify war crimes. She, if she thinks that she thinks Israel's keeping hostages, arresting innocent Palestinians because what they have jail space. It, yeah. Can I can I just ask a question here? Yeah. <laughs> I know you're asking the questions. If they if she cared so much about the Palestinian people, and they are they're civilians, they are a lot of them very some. innocent. Yes, some and and the ones that are innocent deserve to be treated like civilians. But if if she cared so much about them. Why is she not talking about Hamas throwing them off buildings if they're gay? Right. Why is she not talking about, you know, the fact that they're being used as human shields for missiles? Why is she not talking about that? She doesn't care about that. She, she cares doesn't. about hating Jews. And, and anything anti-American. Right. Uh, she does. Uh, Jeff Lax, uh, keep on fighting. All right. Uh, don't you, quit too. and don't let him fire you. Thank you. All right, Jeff. <laughs> Back in a moment with Stuart Varney.
Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. In a matter of moments, we're going to go on with Stuart. I see some calls up there. If you want to get on board, we can. We usually leave about 90 seconds or two minutes at the end, so we'll get to a few of them. You can always write me, too, at briankilmeade.com uh, and click on Comments. It'll pop up on my email. Uh, number two, don't forget Teddy and Booker T is available November 7th. And I'm going to be in Red Banks, New Jersey. Big show. Get tickets. Talk about all my books. Great patriotic, inspirational, motivational night. So hopefully I'll have a chance to see you in person. Also in Pittsburgh and Juliet, Illinois. So let's listen. Bitcoin. Big story of the morning. $34,381. Eastern Time. Brian Kilmeade will miraculously appear on the screen. Brian, I'm sick and tired of this speaker mess. It's embarrassing for Republicans. Are you with me on this? Oh, my, my goodness. I was with it. I was a big Kevin McCarthy supporter. I yep. thought you did a great job because what yep. do you do in life, Stuart? There are times when you'd host your own show. You call your own shots. There's other times if you're an ensemble cast, you do the five. You've got to get along with everybody because the one goal is to make that show better. And when you have other people, it doesn't mean everything goes your way. I can't believe that these men and women got this job and didn't understand the job description. It isn't about them and being famous. You represent your people, but you have a policy and a party also to subscribe to. But what should we do with Matt? What should the Republican Party do with Matt Gates? He just blew everything up. He blew up the speakership of Kevin McCarthy, and he's got nothing. The Republicans are worse off now than they were before they ousted McCarthy. What are you going to do with Gates? Well, it's just so interesting to expand on your point. Do you know Jim Jordan was firmly for Kevin McCarthy? Do you know Stephen Scalise said, no problem, Kevin McCarthy should be the speaker? Everybody that wanted to, that said they were going to be speaker, yep. it's only reluctantly because they tossed out Kevin McCarthy. The people that tossed him out, none of those eight want to be speaker. They just wanted to blow up the place and make sure you didn't go to the club or go to the, you know, go work, go to the gym because I'm going to blow it up. I don't work out anyway. Having said all that, I get the sense that they get it. Uh, I think that Emmer and Byron Donald seem to be the front runner. I just say this. You stay in the room. Don't go home on weekends. I don't want to hear it. You say, okay, whoever gets it, seven people in it, they'll probably get 40, 50 votes, let's say, instead of the 100 because there's more than, more than two. And they sit there and say, listen, you've all pledged to support whoever got the most votes. You all did. Great. Now, anybody, if the, whoever that is, let's say it's Donald's, puts up his hand, he gets the most votes. Anybody against me, just put up your hand. Okay, anybody for me, got it. Whoever against me, let's stay in this room. What's going on? If you want me to meet one-on-one, I'll meet one-on-one. But collectively, what, what bothers you about it? How can I fix it? Maybe there's some things that I can make you feel better about. Maybe it's spending. Maybe it's defense. Maybe it's Ukraine. What is it? Uh, maybe it's appropriation bill. And then get to the bottom of it. But don't leave. And then by the time it's done, maybe midnight tonight, you have a speaker. And this will blow over. And then they'll realize how much Kevin McCarthy was doing. Fundraising, recruiting candidates. And putting his ego aside to help the moderates as well as the Freedom Caucus. You have to be everything to both. People should realize they're refs. They're not, right. they're not presidents. They are refs. Do, do you think voters will have forgotten about this I in do. November of next I year? Do. They'll think just about, forget about I, it? I do. I, if they were able to not shut down the government, move forward, I think they forget about it. Think about the tornado, uh, the tornadic-like speed in which things are coming at us. From the war in the Middle East to the Trump trials that are going on right now to the GOP race to the primaries that are going to be happening. Who knows if Joe Biden's going to survive uh, to be the nominee in the end of the day? Or is the guy auditioning Gavin Newsom, who now miraculously goes to China and Israel, but I don't want to be president? 
if that all that stuff is going to churn through. And then you when you go to vote, you're going to say, I want that person to represent me. I'm not thinking speaker. Right. I'm just thinking, all right, I'm in a blue state or a red state. Who do I want representing my town, my county? I'm not going to worry about majority, minority, and especially because I think that the only time it'll come up again if they pick someone in the next couple of days is when you pick the speaker the next year, next year at this time, when people start running for it. We will, we'll, we'll be carrying it live instead of saying it's, a, it's a, a given. We'll see. I hope you're right, but I'm not so sure you are. I think voters have some memory for this nonsense, but uh, that's another story. They only have uh, Brian... so much storage. We're, too, we're overloaded, Stuart, overloaded. <laughs> very true, because we're in the news business. Yes. That's what it is. All right. Brian, you're all right. We'll all right. see you again real soon. Thank you, Thanks. Stuart. Thank you for the checkup. Uh, Jenna, very patient in Rome, New York. Hey, Jenna. Hey. It's an honor to speak with you, Brian. Thank you. I've read uh, many years ago your Secret Six, and uh, I proposed that Elise Stefanik should be up for it. I noticed there were all men that were running for the speaker, and I think it would go a long way for the Republican Party to have a woman. I like her. She's honest. She's upstate New York. We're quite different, as you know, from uh, the city area in Long Island, and that's just my comment. <laughs> so, so Jenna, a couple of things. I'm it. very familiar with upstate New York because I had uh, three, uh, all three of my kids have went to school upstate New York, so I've been going there uh, almost every other weekend since they played college sports uh, for about six years, seven years. So even though I knew it anyway, I, I got a chance to really know it. And, it. and for people listening around the country, you have no idea what great people are upstate. It reminds me more of Iowa than Manhattan. Different from Long Island, just really great people. Got a rural sense of living. You got some great little city, little towns, uh, and a real sense of community. But Elise Stefanik, I believe one of the reasons she's not running for it, young family, number one. Number two is I think that Trump's got her on the short list, and he thinks he's going to get the nomination, and I think that she thinks she might be a good match for him. What do you think about that? I'd rather see her as the Speaker of the House first. I really think that would be the solution for their problem. I think they could possibly get behind her. I hope so. That's yeah. that's my comment. Right. No, great. I uh, appreciate it, Jenna. Thanks so much. And I appreciate all the people that are written. You know what? I'm getting a lot of email now, and I don't have time to really go through it. I'm getting, I was a Democrat, and I've changed. I'm not voting again, and I'm seeing people like Barry Weiss, and I'm not sure how she's voting, but you know she used to be the editor of the New York Times um, op-ed section, and then she, fought, she farmed herself out to Substack and started that. She basically says, I, you know, I, I want to bet a Democrat I woke up a conservative because they're seeing all this craziness, and now we see a president who thinks he's going to run the war for Israel. I mean, it's and that we're not answering back to any of the attacks on our troops and our bases in the Middle East by Iranian militias. Where's the muscle? From the Fox News radio studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. We're at 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. We're around the country and around the world. Uh, Kurt Volker is going to be with us. You know him. The former ambassador to NATO, former United States Special Representative to Ukraine negotiations. 
uh, Senator Rick Scott in about 15 minutes, and then Bob Cusack inside the drama on Capitol Hill. Also, got to tell you that uh, Jenna Ellis has just took a plea deal in Georgia. I remember her coming out. She was representing the president for a while, former president for a while. But I remember her coming out saying, listen, I don't have any money to pay these legal bills. So she's got a fine, $5,000, and that misdemeanor. They're just trying to get her to testify against Trump. That's all they're trying to do. So it's the fourth way. you got Cheeseboro. You have Sidney Powell. You have her. Uh, I think there's another person I don't recognize on that list. So they'll keep on whittling it down because they keep saying, hey, you know those seven felonies that were going to put you in jail? Don't worry about it if you testify against Trump. And write a letter of apology, and she just did. So we'll watch that. Also, Donald Trump is in trial today on his ridiculous uh, civil trial. Michael Cohen's going to testify against him, but Trump wanted to be there to stare him down. Uh, a lot of drama. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Somebody's going to be able to get 217 in there. I, I think uh, at least half of them could get there. Uh, the other half might struggle a little bit, but we're going to have to figure out how to get our act together. Yeah, I would think so. End in sight, perhaps. Seven nominees vibe for the open Republican speaker spot. We're going to look at the candidates' commitments. And uh, for the GOP, will they finally rally around anyone, someone? Number two. And it's really incredible how people are still not believing these stories. If this denial is taking shape, and it is taking shape, because, in fact, that's the narrative of Hamas, and everybody around the world is swallowing it. The the Jerusalem deputy mayor knows they're losing the fight against the media and academia. Seems mighty mighty Israel and America have found protesters and mostly media against them at a time in which the power of being right is all that remains on our side. How to win that fight against... Everybody else, including Hamas. Number one. I'm stunned by it that we're not doing anything about it. The issue is we have Iran using their proxies that are attacking U.S. bases. And the reason is to try to kill Americans. What is the strategy here? Uh, When Jack Keane's exasperated, you know it's serious. He just got back from Ukraine. Keeping Israel back and letting Iran hit surrogates, let Iran-backed surrogates attack us without reprisal is criminal. That is what the Biden administration is authoring in week three of the war in Israel while holding them back from taking the fight to Hamas. Uh, Kurt Volkel joins us. Ambassador, great to hear from you. Brian, great to be with you. All right. I want to talk Ukraine, but I also want to talk about what's happening here. Are you okay with the administration holding back uh, reportedly the prime minister because he says they don't think that they're ready to go in? Well, it's not for us to judge if they're ready. It's for the Israelis to judge. Right. And I think and I think the reason um, that this is coming up is because of the hostages. That We still have American hostages there. Israelis, of course, have even more hostages. And uh, I think both of us want to see a chance to get them out. The problem is that Hamas has a strategy of just trickling them out you know, two at a time in order to hold off the Israeli offensive. And they're using that time to turn the narrative against Israel. Well, so that was part of their plan. They planned everything. You could hate Hamas and hate what they did, and I do, and I and I do. Well, it was continue to, but they planned this thing out, and they wanted to take the hostages for just this reason. They got uh, a lot of military uh, men and women from off those bases, but they also have a lot from other countries. But if we allow Ambassador us to stand, uh, the, the Israelis to stand back, you see how the world sentiment's turning against them already. The longer they wait, the harder it will be. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And Israel doesn't have a choice. They're going to have to take Hamas out. 
Um, they can't allow this terrorist state next to them to just grow and grow and attack and attack. So they're going to have to do it. And frankly, the sooner they do this, the better for Israel's security in the long run. So having said that, we're hearing we're hearing some differing things coming out of the administration. But here's Matt Miller, the State Department spokesperson. Cut five. Any ceasefire would give Hamas the ability to rest, to refit, and to get ready to continue launching terrorist attacks against Israel. You can uh, uh, understand perfectly clearly why that's an intolerable situation for Israel, as it would be an intolerable situation for any country that has suffered such a brutal terrorist attack and continues to see uh, the terrorist threat right on its borders. So we hear that. Also, can you give me an idea what's going on at the State Department? Evidently, people are quitting. They're upset. They're saying they're going against their doctrine and beliefs by allowing the flow of weapons to go to Israel. Is the State Department running their own country? Yeah, I really don't understand that. Um, I can understand that people are quitting over conscience, but then they shouldn't be there to begin with because this is um, the, the U.S. has to stand up against terrorism wherever it is. And you can't just say that, oh, I don't like this one, I don't like that one, and then quit. Uh, you shouldn't be there if you're not comfortable supporting the interests of the United States and our allies. Did you find that? I mean, you know a lot of these people, right, Ambassador? I, I do, yeah. And I don't say that this is a majority of the people, and I don't think it's even characteristic of the way people at the State Department think. But there are a few people who clearly do think this way, and I think they made the right call. I listened to General McKenzie yesterday, and he basically said it was so foolhardy for us to make public that we're looking to switch to Asia because it makes our allies get nervous that it's going to leave them alone with enemies like Hamas, Hezbollah, and Iran. Uh, He says inept policy uh, combined with poor communications gets us in this type of trouble. Can you talk about that? Our allies in the area do not like when we say it, even if it's in our best interest to do it. Well, yes, our allies are concerned about that because it does signal a lack of interest or attention to their issues. And, uh, you know, one thing President Biden uh, said the other day that I actually agree with is the U.S. has to do more than one thing at a time. Uh, we can't just say, oh, we're going to do Asia and forget about Europe and Russia, or forget about the Middle East. We, we've got to stay vigilant on all these things. But that means we have to be willing to take the tough decisions to provide security uh, for ourselves and for our allies. And what we've seen too much of is a a reluctance to do that, a hesitation. And that has encouraged people like Hamas or Russia or China to think they can get away with things. So Iran-backed militants hit uh, us in our bases in Iraq and Syria. The Pentagon says they believe that Iran was behind it. Monday, two drones attacked our base in Iraq. Uh, Iran backed the Islamic resistance there. They were intercepted, thankfully. Sunday, Katusha rockets uh, went into our base. Thankfully, nobody was hurt. Uh, on Saturday, Assad Air Base Defense System knocked down two drones that were flown at our base of where 2,500 of our people were. And we know about a destroyer off the coast of Yemen that got hit by rockets that we knocked out of the sky. Here's General Jack Keane on what's going on here. Cut 12. I'm stunned by it that we're not doing anything about it. We're defending against some of it. If they're shooting a missile, we shoot it down. If they sh- shoot a drone down, we get most of them. We don't get all of them. We haven't had fatalities, but that's not the, the issue. The issue is we have Iran using their proxies that are attacking U.S. bases, where there are U.S. troops or bases that our hosts are running, and we have our troops on those bases. And the reason is to try to kill Americans. What is the strategy here? So I've never heard that for him. He's so measured. I've never heard his voice that intense. 
Do you feel the same yeah. way, Ambassador Volker? Yeah, I, I think that if we don't respond to these sorts of things, they will continue and get worse. And I think that's what he's exasperated about, because uh, we, we have to nip this in the bud. The whole reason they're doing it is because they believe they can deter us from uh, getting involved and that we can put pressure on Israel not to launch its offensive or to, uh, to prevent widening the war. So just like Putin in Ukraine, where uh, he has used his threats of nuclear weapons, they're using threats of terrorism or actual acts of terrorism to try to deter the United States. And we can't let ourselves get caught in that position. So in Ukraine, another area you know well, Jack Keane was in Kiev, and he said this is what the message was. They will lose a war of attrition. After all, Ukraine's got 40 million Russians got 150 million. Logic tells you if they're going to fight to the death, Ukraine dies quicker, even though they're better fighters and better equipped and more dedicated. Here's what Jack Keane said has to happen. Cut 38. We got to stop restricting them from attacking into Russia. When you look at a map, all of their infrastructure, their fuel ammunition depots, most of them are just on the other side of the Russian border from Ukraine. And we're restricting them from using the weapons we give them and the Europeans give them from attacking in there. They use some of their own drones that they make to do it. But we need to get HIMARS after that. We're going to need to get the ATACMs, the cruise missiles. You don't fight a war with one hand behind your back and tell them, well, you can't go after the enemy's logistical infrastructure that is supporting their war effort. After all, they invaded Ukraine from Russia. The Ukrainians should be able to cross that border and destroy the capability of sitting right on the other side of the border hmm. that they're using to destroy them. It makes no sense the to slow, hold them back like that. The slow walking of weapons has been maddening for me. I can't imagine what it's like fighting it. How do you feel about what he said? Would it ratchet up something you're not comfortable with? Not at all. He's completely right that they are fighting with one hand tied behind their back by being restricted about the use of the weapons against Russian territory. We drew the line in the wrong place. The line when you're dealing with an aggressor like Ukraine that has attacked, or like Russia that has attacked Ukraine, is to say that it is legitimate to strike back at military targets inside Russia. Uh, they shouldn't be just bombing cities and attacking civilians like the Russians are doing, but they should be able to attack inside Russia against the military facilities that Russia is using to attack Ukraine. And we really should revise our guidance on that. Uh, would, and right now, can they win? Can, currently? Uh, the, the thing that was left out of what uh, General Keene said is the morale of the Ukrainian soldiers and the Ukrainian people. They are going to win because they are fighting for their own homes, their own lives, their own family, and they can't afford to give up. The Russians, on the other hand, are poorly trained, poorly equipped, poorly motivated. Yes, there are a lot of them, but the Ukrainians are far better uh, prepared for this now, and they are defending their own homes and lives. So they will not give up. They'll fight, and ultimately the Russians are going to have to walk away. Hopefully the F-16s will make that difference. Uh, Ambassador Kurt Volker, thank you. Thank you. Uh, Next, Senator Rick Scott from Florida. Don't move. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. 
We're back. Uh, joining us now is uh, Senator Rick Scott, Homeland Security and Armed Services Committee. Uh, Senator, I just got to uh, thanks so much for joining us. I've got to bring you to what's going on. Multiple reports are saying that the president's holding back uh, Israel from from attacking, getting this ground war started three weeks after the attack. I'm all for recalibrating, but not allowing Israel to call its own shots and making statements to the press that they're not convinced that they are prepared to get in to go into Gaza and what to do after. What's your take on this? Well, it's like the president doesn't care that 32 Americans died, 1,400 Israelis died. We got Americans and Israelis held hostage. I mean, these terrorists need to be dead. The only way they're going to die is if Israel is allowed to do its job. They know that if they don't kill all those Hamas terrorists, it will happen again. Maybe it happens in six months. Maybe it happens in a year. It's going to happen again. So if the if if Biden cares about uh, Israel, cares about Americans, then he'd say, you know, Netanyahu, you need to go do exactly what you want to do, and I will do everything I can to help you. But here's where I don't get: this president goes on vacation again. He's on the beach. Well, we got we got American hostages. He gives a speech to the American public and barely even talks about the people. The fact that ha- Hamas is holding American hostages. Right. So it is. It, it may, it may, I've been there a lot. I was in the little. I was in Kafar Aza, and I talked to a lady that gave me the tour. I was there with my wife five years ago. I mean, everybody on her street, I think, died. She's only alive because she was out of out of the country at the time. That's where they beheaded the babies. And Biden wants to slow this down. I want all the Hamas terrorists dead. So you as officials said Monday they're recommending that Israel not rush into launching a ground offensive because Washington had the chance to get military resources in place. This would also allow Qatar to continue working to get hostages out. But then yesterday in a couple of appearances and one walking upstairs, he screwed everything up. When asked about whether the U.S. would support a potential Israel-Hamas uh, ceasefire in exchange for the release of hostages, he said, quote, we should have those hostages released and then we can talk. Really? Wait a second. What does that have to do with the incursion? Since when are we making that deal? And also, he said humanitarian aid for the purpose of terrorism. He said, no, there's not. They're not. He knows for sure that Hamas is not part of that. He also asked if he's been if he said yes to have you told the Israelis not to, to slow down? He said, yes, they had to change that. He's always blowing off the press, yelling out answers, getting himself in trouble. Well, First off, any aid that goes to Gaza goes to Hamas. Hamas controls Gaza. So, th- so think about this. I had, a, I had a bill took the floor last week for the second time. The Democrats blocked it. It says it says that if you want to provide any support to the PLO or the Gazans, you've got to certify that none of it will go to terrorists like Hamas. But so think about what we're doing. We're giving money into Gaza. The Hamas gets, and by the way, when you saw the pictures of the Hamas terrorists on the back of some of their trucks, they had the humanitarian first aid kits. Humanitarian relief would never go to them. On top of that, the PLO gives money to terrorists that kill Israelis and Americans. And so we're taking your tax dollars and giving it to the PLO so they can give to the families of the dead terrorists. Now, does this, with your tax dollars, and your kid might have been killed. We lost 32 Americans. We got Americans being held hostage. This makes no sense. And the Democrats, all of them, they all go along with this. So there, our bases got hit in Iraq, uh, got hit uh, on a destroyer ship, and in Syria, 
Here's John Kirby on why he hasn't answered these attacks. Cut nine. If there's going to be a response, it's going to be at a time and a manner of our choosing. We're going to do what we have to do to protect our interests. And that's one of the reasons why the president directed more military uh, capabilities into the region. Two strike groups. Why is he not using it? Right. Oh, yeah. So he's so first off, this president doesn't do anything about about he he, he tries to pacify all the bad dictators uh, in the world. He wants to do this stupid Iran deal. He wants he doesn't want to take the six billion dollars back. And by the way, it's nice that we have resources over there. Are we going to use them? Do, do, first off, does Orion think that Biden would ever use resources to hold accountable? By the way, Iran has to be held accountable. They are the pup. They're the, they're the puppeteer. Hamas is is just the, the little puppet doing exactly what Iran tells them to do. So is Hamas. So this is all driven by Iran. If Iran's never held accountable, this will not stop. Uh, that's uh, it's going to be interesting because neither will the attacks uh, not stop, and it's costing us a lot of manpower. If I was a family member, if my family member was one of the two thousand five hundred in Iraq or the hundreds that are in Syria. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm just going to be a sitting duck because the president doesn't want to start a world war. That's not why I joined the military. Right. I mean, by the way, we like doesn't this president get that his responsibility is first and foremost to American citizens? I mean, that's his job. Protect us. He's the president of the United States, the commander in chief. Protect Every American. Don't put Americans in harm in harm's way and unless they're going to do something that's in our best interest. And it's our mm. best interest that Israel destroy terrorists. That's destroy, why destroy, destroy, destroy Hamas. That's why I'm glad you're on the Armed Services Committee and Homeland Security. Senator Rick Scott, thanks so much. We come back inside the speaker search. Bob Cusack of the Hill. Don't move. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, Look, my pitch is very simple. Uh, This is going to be a process where it's uh, member-driven, not speaker-driven. We need to get back to work, secure our border, fund our government responsibly, and hold this administration accountable. And last but not least, our members, we got to be focused on purpose and mission. That's it. So the mission now is for four to become one and have a speaker with 217 votes. That was Byron Donalds. He wants to be the next speaker, only reluctantly. He wanted McCarthy to stay. Then he voted for Jim Jordan. And I'm sure he would have been behind Steve Scalise. Mike Johnson of Louisiana. Tom Emmer is considered to be Kevin McCarthy's pick. He actually said that. And Kevin Hearn. Uh, Bob Cusack is all over this as editor-in-chief of The Hill. Bob, uh, we're doing this again, but this time some new names they go in with four. Will they emerge with one? Well, well, thanks for having me on, Brian. Listen, I, I think we're going to get a speaker this week. Are we going to get a speaker today? I, I, I would kind of doubt that because we're whittling down uh, who's going to be the closed-door winner. We've had uh, behind-closed-doors winners before. That was Steve Scalise, Jim Jordan, but obviously could not get the 217 votes they needed on the floor. So – you think that, you know, based upon where he stands, as you mentioned, Kevin McCarthy has endorsed Tom Emmer. Um, but as you know, all it takes is a, a handful of holdouts, and Democrats are not going to help Republicans. So, uh, but I do think, and I talked to a member this morning, 
very exasperated with this, and, and they're just exhausted, and they want to they want to get down to policymaking. Obviously, we have a big uh, deadline uh, right around the corner that would will probably lead to a government shutdown. But but there's got to be some nuts and bolts talks about what we're doing fiscally in this country, and and, and that's why I think one way or the other, uh, I think we're going to get a speaker this week. But listen. Uh, a lot of people, including myself, have, have made some bad predictions on this speaker race. <laughs> so, yeah, so they got uh, – they have four appropriations bills done. they got to get to 11, right, Bob? Yeah, and, and that's – I mean they, they've got a lot of work to do, and it's very difficult because they're trying to move appropriation bills. Democrats want a higher funding level uh, that was outlined in, in the debt limit deal. You know, They had a deal, but now both sides are arguing over what the deal was. Now, the Senate, uh, it has they have a bunch of bipartisan bills, but they haven't passed any uh, on the Senate floor. So uh, now, obviously, it's tougher to move stuff in the Senate. Things Basically, the Senate can do at most one thing a week where the House can do multiple things. Um, but yes, the more bills you pass, the more appropriation bills you pass, the more leverage you have. And that's what House Republicans really need to get back to doing. And if they don't, I mean, we're going to get to a CR and some people don't want to have a CR, Matt Rosendale. They don't want to, to continue. They've, they've wasted three weeks. So now they got to yep. go and do stuff to get this done by November. I mean, what's going to stop the government from shutting down? I'm wondering if people are going to show some give there. Yeah, and well, any deal that is going to be signed into law, obviously, with divided government is going to have to be bipartisan. So uh, whether that's a CR, whether it's an omnibus, which conservatives hate and which Kevin McCarthy said will never happen again. And when he said that, I said, let's flip and save this because they, it, omnibuses usually happen because Congress has not been doing its job on appropriation bills. Uh, they just put them all together into these massive thousand plus page bills. I mean, you think about it, you know, it, it's a crazy way to make to make law where bills are introduced usually by leadership officials. And then 24 hours later, maybe 72 hours later, uh, they vote on it, but they don't even have the time to read right. the bill. That just doesn't make any sense. Right. They've tried to get to regular order. The CR would have brought them there, but they got rid of uh, McCarthy in my, in my humble view. Here's what Andrew Garbarino, one of the upset winners in New York that helped deliver the House, cut 35. They're as frustrated as we are. I mean, they're angry, and I'm angry. In fact, I think last week I probably showed some of my anger. Uh, and, 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 and the folks I represent want us to get to a conclusion. And in fact, we owe it to them. And if anything, um, we, we have to act like mature adults uh, and come to a conclusion. And a lot of this was personal animus. Jim Jordan was too tough. Steve Scalise wasn't tough enough. I don't like the way Jim Jordan treated Steve Scalise. I got some surrogates for Jim Jordan berating the wives of other lawmakers. It was insane. Are we did, so I know you don't want to make predictions, but so far, have you picked up any of that personal animus from the final four that we would just went over? Uh, you know, I think it's more of a clean slate here. Good. Now, listen, I, I think that Tom Emmer has a good shot uh, to get it, um, but only you know timing is everything, and Tom Emmer could not have been speaker last week, but because of this uh, on again, off again fighting, Jim Jordan fighting with Scalise, Scalise fighting with McCarthy, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, there, I think this is more of a clean slate. Now, Tom Emmer does have experience, but in some ways that hurts him. He, he knows how to fundraise. He's, he's headed up the campaign committee that won back the House. And when you talk about New York Republicans, remember, if, if House Republicans are going to keep the House, they've got to protect uh, a lot of vulnerables in both New York and California. And in a presidential election year in 
obviously in blue states, that's going to be different, uh, difficult, even though these battlegrounds are pretty even. So it's going to be very important, and that's why I think they're leaning towards Tom Emmer because Tom Emmer knows how to grow uh, a, a majority that uh, a lot of Republicans thought would be a bigger majority, but they did get the gavel. Right. They did uh, get the House. And that's why I think he is the favorite. All right. So I want to talk about 2024 in in a couple of weeks. We're going to have another debate and it's going to be, I think, on NBC. But so Mm -hmm. far, we only we have Nikki Haley, DeSantis, Vivek, obviously Trump, but he's not going to show up. And now Chris Christie says he is qualified for the debate out of the fray is Doug Burgum, as well as Senator uh, Tim Scott. Uh, What do you think? Do you think that this will see a field of four? We could. I mean, it's certainly narrowing. I mean, when you start a political campaign, it's basically a startup business, and you've got to have a lot of money to run that business, and people are running out of money. Now, Trump has raised a lot of money. He has spent a lot of money, though, on legal fees. Uh, it was somebody asked me the other day, if anyone's going to catch Trump, who would it be on the Republican side? And, and I think you have to go with Haley. Um, now, the expectations for Trump are both good and bad. He is winning, as you know, Brian, he's winning big time. He's winning in, like in these 40 states. points. Yeah, yeah, 40 points. Now, <clears throat> what if, and the media loves a race, what if he wins Iowa by 15? Uh, then he wins New Hampshire by 11. But then Nikki Haley is a strong second. Remember, John McCain was never popular in Iowa because of his stance on ethanol. <laughs> he actually finished fourth in Iowa, and that was – that was viewed as as kind of a major win, and then he ended up winning the nomination. That was like so. I think let's wait until the early states, but uh, I think Nikki Haley is the one to watch. I just saw head to head Trump be winning in Pennsylvania, and I know they're in a dead heat or Trump up one of the real clear average. But I saw in New Hampshire, and I asked Governor Sununu about this. Trump losing by a lot to Biden. And I wrote him, I go, is this real? He goes, yeah, it's a big sample for New Hampshire. It was 3,000 people. So that's why I was surprised that Trump said this, cut 37. You're the only state that doesn't have one. And we had that all set to go. But then we had a little election uh, that went astray. So we have to be careful. You got to get out there and you got to watch those voters. You don't have to vote. Don't worry about voting. The voting, we got plenty of votes. You got to watch election night. You know, it used to be election day, election night. Now it's election month. Did he tell people not to vote? <laughs> well, a lot of Republicans have been frustrated with, with Trump is that, listen, Democrats uh, did better than anticipated in the midterms because the rules have changed. Now, partly that was from, from COVID, but they want Trump, and Trump has pivoted a little bit, but to, to his critics, not enough, that, listen, if you want to vote early, then vote early. Uh, that's what Democrats did very well in the last election, and that's why – uh, they kept the Senate, and then the red wave really didn't materialize. Again, House Republicans did win the House, but they didn't win it by a lot, and that's why they're having all these speaker problems because their their majority is so narrow. Right. Uh, now, we have Governor Newsom going over to Israel and China. I mean, you think that California is running like such a top. There's no homeless problem. There's no high taxes. Gas isn't right. $6 a gallon, so he's really bored. So now in San Francisco, is so such a great place to live with all those vacant buildings there. So with right. all those with all those problems solved, he decides to go over and makes a comment essentially saying, I wish I was president. When asked, you know, what did you do? He said, well, my scope is limited. I wish I was president. Is is he sensing that he wants to be the immediate handpicked guy? Should Joe Biden stumble badly? I mean, he's only got 41 percent approval on the Israel uh is Israel his steps on Israel right now? The economy is not rating high. His overall approval is at forty or thirty nine percent. Do you think Gavin Newsom sees an opening, or is that just us? 
I think it's Gavin Newsom seeing an opening, but I also listen. I mean, sure you talked to a lot of people in California. I've talked to some California liberal, liberal, uh, very progressive Democrats. They are not fans of Newsom. So a lot of people in California, his home state, don't like him. But at the same time, he's keeping his name in the mix, and the, and the media is certainly playing along. And people do like to read about him. We've noticed that. Um, but do I think he's that strong of a candidate based upon his record? Yeah, remember, he had a recall effort. Um, I, I think he sees weakness, obviously, in Kamala Harris. And if Joe Biden were not to run, listen, uh, a number of people would run. But we're, we're getting so late in the game with filing deadlines and that kind of thing that I, I just don't see it happening. But there are right. so many Democrats privately so concerned about Biden. And when you see these, you know, you see some of these polls. And, I, you know, the, the Washington Post ABC had a poll recently that had Trump up 10 I think that's a bit much, but I do. I think that Trump is. Does he have a narrow lead right now? Yes, I do. I, I do. And let, listen, remember, a year before the election, that's where we are now. Barack Obama called himself the underdog uh, in his reelection effort, and then he ran a very good campaign and he won. I think Joe Joe Biden is the underdog right now. I don't think he's a big underdog, but I think he is a slight underdog because the economic numbers on Bidenomics, one third of the country think we're on the right track. Two-thirds do not. So that's a, that's a problem, and, and, and right. Donald Trump, if he were to be the nominee, is going to say, are you better off than you were four years ago? And right now the mood of this country with two ongoing wars is very sour. Right, and when you talk about inflation you, and you talk about the chaos in the world and you go right, right back to Afghanistan and you think what has happened since and whose idea was it? And every general testified that he told me to do it and I had no choice. But to get out, McKenzie's now trying to clear his name, in my view. But lastly, um, uh, lastly on the Senate, the Republicans got to feel a little bit better than they did two years ago and even four years ago because yeah. they got Sheehy, who seems to be a, just a pristine candidate in Montana, a red state. They got Dave McCormick, I think, gives him a great shot in Pennsylvania, even though Casey's extremely popular, but it seems to be trending Republican. And my goodness, Governor Jim Justice is light years more popular than Joe Manchin in that bright red state. So right there, these seems to be solid cases for a pickup, let alone Mike Rogers in an open seat in Michigan. If anyone's got a shot in Michigan as a Republican, it might be a guy that's not pro-Trump but not anti-Trump who's been a congressman from there in the past. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think the Senate is likely to to flip. I could see the House flipping to Democrats and Republicans winning the Senate because they've got all those red states, including uh, Ohio with Sherrod Brown, good candidate, um, but he's going to have a tough time winning reelections. And and Democrats don't really have anywhere to go. They're probably not going to pick up any seats, so they just have to defend all their seats to keep the majority. You know, they got a shot in Florida, but I think Rick Scott's a heavy favorite there. He's got. He's wealthy. He's going to be investing in himself. I think it's going to be tough to win there. So listen, but we saw in the midterms where Republicans shot themselves in the foot. They recruited candidates who were not good, including Herschel Walker, and they didn't win the Senate. Uh, so the question is, are they going to blow it again? Yeah. I do think that they are they are the favorites to win back the upper chamber. All right, uh, Bob, I wore you out. Let's see if we get a speaker and we can talk about the aftermath and how one of those four emerged. Bob Cusack, thank you so much from the Hill. Hey, thanks for having me on. Uh, you can follow him at Bob Cusack on X, which was once Twitter. We come back. I will squeeze in some calls. one 408 Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show.
a radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, coming up on November 7th, I'm coming out with Teddy and Booker T, two American icons, uh, blazed a path to racial equality. I think it's a story. You know the men? You don't know how they work together. Uh, it's a story I'll be talking a lot about on November 9th. I'll be out, uh, and I'll be at the Bogle and do, talking about all my books, a patriotic, inspirational, motivational night. Uh, Ponte Vedra, Florida, WOKV listeners, especially hope to see you there. I'll be at the Villages, be at Vero Beach, Madison, Connecticut on November 14th. I'll be in Brentwood, Tennessee, right after the Patriot Awards. I'll be signing at the Patriot Awards. Hope to see everybody there. Then Chattanooga, Tennessee. And then on Bayshore, Long Island, the day before Thanksgiving on that Saturday. Uh, Then we're going to talk about uh, doing some more live shows. I'll be in Pittsburgh December 12th at the Homestead Music Hall. And then uh, Doylestown, of course. And then two big shows in January in Skokie, Illinois. Uh, I hope to see you guys out there. Um, so that'll be great, the 20th and 21st. Uh, first off, too, uh, if you go to BrianKillMe.com, you can order and get a personalized version. Go to my local Barnes & Noble. I'll show up there, and I'll sign them all. And this way you get it for the holidays. Meanwhile, a lot of people aren't buying the story about how bad this massacre was in Israel on October 7th. So an Israeli government spokesperson, Elon Levy, says, you know what, I'm going to just let everybody see what we have seen. And even though we try to hide people's eyes from it, so you to believe and understand why this was so much different, this is what they're going to do, cut 24. As we work to defeat the terror organization that brutalized our people, we are witnessing a Holocaust denial-like phenomenon evolving in real time as people are casting doubt on the magnitude of the atrocities that Hamas committed against our people and, in fact, recorded in order to glorify that violence. Therefore, tomorrow, the government press office will screen for foreign media gruesome and as yet unseen footage of the barbarities perpetrated against our people on October 7th. This is footage that has not been made public. It will screen a compilation of raw and unedited footage from the October 7th massacre for journalists who can stomach the horrific truth and want to report on what they saw. Good. And maybe they will. And maybe they're going to have to air it. The crazy thing is Hamas taped it. They had the GoPros. They talked about it. They knew they had these plans in there on their body. They knew some were going to be captured. They knew a lot of these guys were going to get killed. It was a suicide mission. They thought maybe more were going to be killed and less were going to be taken. And they knew that people were going to find out how brutal they were. Do you know it said dismember the bodies? It talked about doing all these horrific things. They were on drugs, there's no doubt about it. But to go ahead and... Kill everybody at a concert, unarmed, obviously, on a wide open field, nowhere to hide. This was all done, but people seem to go, well, wait a second. You can't just go bomb people in Gaza. They're not. They're precision weapons. They told everybody to move south. Some said we're not moving. And Hamas builds in civilian areas. They build under mosques. They build under hospitals on the West Bank, but especially in Gaza. That's the issue. And that's why the more they hold back the crazier it's going to be for Gaza to get the justice they have they have coming to them. Here is Floyer Hassan Narom. Now, uh, he is, or she is, the Jerusalem deputy mayor. Cut 25. The minute that you use Hamas as your credible source for your news and for your information, you're putting Jews everywhere in the world in danger when you actually say something that is not accurate and that is essentially a blood libel. Yeah. But why would anybody be taking that? Why would anybody be taking Hamas's word for it? 
The New York Times did that big mistake. Now they have to apologize. But how many people? Uh, how many people were killed because of it? Number two, how many riots took place because of it? And number three, you know what they did? Because of a hospital bombing that Israel is not responsible for, that the Islamic Islamic Jihad did, guess what? They canceled the meeting with Jordan, canceled the meeting with the Palestinian Authority. They canceled the meeting with Egypt. So it embarrassed the president and the New York Times and AP as responsible as anyone for taking Hamas's word. There's good guys and bad guys in this. The good guy is Israel. I hope everyone realizes that. And the really good guys got to start standing up for themselves. I hope you realize that. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.